Hey everybody, Zach here. Uh, just a quick disclaimer vis-a-vis -vis the episode you're about to hear. It's mostly me and Ted being smug while discussing film. Uh, and in the midst of that, in sort of a super swirly of irony, I make a couple of pretty basic blunders, which should probably preclude my being smug about film in the future, but I'm not going to let them. First, uh, after saying the names Owen Wilson and Luke Wilson, I refer to them as the Owen brothers, which I guess sort of makes sense, but not really. Uh, but the other one is more egregious uh, when referencing the dude uh, on The Big Lebowski. Instead of saying Jeff Bridges, I say Jeff Daniels, which I admit if I heard that on a podcast, especially if it was on a smug podcast discussing film, I would just reach out my fingers and Twitter would come to them so that I could savage that podcast online. And I admit uh, that's there's no excuse. I mean, I understand when people confuse like Bill Paxton and Bill Pullman and Will Patton. Uh, because they're essentially the same person with essentially the same name, even though I think one of them is dead now. But it's not even like I was thinking of the wrong actor. I just I just said the wrong name. I apologize, and it won't happen again. And by that, I mean we will never, ever make any kind of error or mistake of any kind on any episode of the podcast ever again. Or at least we will not admit to it. That aside, I hope you enjoy this episode, which we're calling Gut Check Smackademic. And now, coming to you live, but not really live, from Gut Check World Headquarters in the capital city of a boxing glove-shaped state, and Gut Check South Command, deep in the belly button above the buckle of the Bible Belt, it's the Gut Check Podcast with your hosts, Ted Pluck and Zach Bartles. Hey, welcome to the Gut Check Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined, as always, by my good friend and my partner in radio, Zachary Bartles. Baby, it's been uh, it's been a little while since we've done this, and I don't know about you. I feel refreshed. I feel happy to be back in the studio, um, and I'm I feel glad to be recording this show at this time. Um, in part because I'm gonna I'm gonna peel back the curtain a little bit on the radio business and and let our listeners know that sometimes we have no idea what we're going to talk about on this program, um, but that is not the case today. Uh, today we have we have some compelling topics locked and loaded. And uh, I think we should get right into these, baby. Are you... Uh, compelling turd picks. Com compelling turd picks. That's right. Uh, Actually, that sounds like something really... That sounds like a gross tumbler. That sounds... Yeah. That sounds, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sounds, really, that sounds just really terrible on uh, on all levels. Um, baby, do you have... <laughs> Do you have uh, anything if, by way of business or, or any of those sorts of things that we should talk about? We should pimp Ligaris Roasters Gut Check Blend. So Ligaris Roasters, um, yes. Because we are media moguls and now like food and beverage moguls, we have our own coffee blend. Uh, it's Ligaris Roasters. It is dark. It is robust. Um, like our personas, I think. Um, <laughs> dark, dark and robust. Uh, but you should avail yourself to this coffee. You should go to LagarisRoasters.com. You should order um, a bag for yourself, a bag for all of your friends, and then marvel at the fact that it is the best coffee you've ever tasted. And uh, it truly is. This is the only coffee I drink anymore, baby. So you're you're 100% espresso guy now. I'm 100% espresso. I'm 100% Lagaris Roasters. And I don't drink anything else. And in fact, when I have to drink something else, I feel like wildly let down and disappointed by the whole thing. Um, because it didn't come out of the, the, the Hector Ligaris, uh, coffee empire. So, uh, do that, get some Ligaris Roasters coffee. You can find gut check swag as well. So, um, a little <laughs> company called mission. And, and when I say you can find, I mean, really it will be very hard to find. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's not findable via like conventionally logical means. Um, you're going to have to, to look around for it a bit. But uh, if you go to missionalware.com and you open the Happy Rant podcast page and scroll ah, half to two thirds of the way down, Zach, <laughs> you can find one very unique um, Gut Check podcast t-shirt. It's very handsome. I have one myself. It's called Gut Check Army. Um, it's a very nice blend. It's a really good t-shirt. And uh, you should get some Gut Check Army swag as well via the Happy Rant page on missional wear. It's sort of like an Easter egg in a, in a, like a movie or a video game. Um, <laughs> it's just, a, it's just a very special thing. You kind of have to be like 
uh, very much an insider to uh, to find it. So Dude, I feel uh, like we we have the weirdest <laughs> relationship with these people now. We really do, man. It's it's unlike any relationship I've ever had, to be honest. So every week you're getting on there and you're and you're happily uh-huh. pimping, you know the 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 products and the services of Missional Wear. Now I'm on these go to eleven and get get what they just did. We yeah. had a promotion where. And th- this this is actually pretty awesome. What? We had a promotion where anyone who left a review on either that podcast or yeah. this podcast or uh-huh. my other podcast, Clinch, automatically, not like there were drawings and winners, everyone who yeah. did that automatically got uh, emissional wear, these go to 11, vinyl sticker, and beer mug. And I believe Dude, that wow. was fully funded by emissional wear, the largesse of these freaking people. So Dude, that's incredible. Yeah, yes. that's incredible. We're gushing about them in these other contexts, and then we're coming together and going, "Oh man, these people with the one T-shirt hidden in the <laughs> yeah, yeah." And it's I'm crazy. wondering if I'm going to see. I, I assume at Doc and Devo they're going to have a little booth or something. Yeah. And if I see Jeff, man, I'm going to want to walk up and like hug him and be like, "Hey, thanks for all you do. That's really nice." And then immediately like change and become gut check Zach yeah. and be like, but what's going on? Dude, you, you should, know? you should do both of those things and, uh, and record it. If you can, I would love to see that. <laughs> That'd be- I'll change t-shirts in between. Change, change t-shirts to- as you change personas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, Jeff, I'm going to put off the old man, the old man being these go to 11 and put on the new man being gut check. And, except that the, and the new man's a little scary. The new man is going to be scary and, and much meaner than the, than the other man, which is, Kind of the opposite of how it's supposed to go, I guess. But uh, Zach's... They're both good men. They're both good men. And speaking of people who are who are, who are both good men, I guess, um, <laughs> we have... It, it, if you made a Venn diagram of our movie watching, there would be a very... There would be very large like overlap in which we like a lot of the same things in the middle. However, one area in which we, we have learned over the years that we differ is that you are not a huge fan of Wes Anderson... And I'm not a huge fan of the Coens. And we also discovered that both of those entities are completely insufferable and obnoxious in their own very unique ways. And what's compelling about this, Zach, and what I think will be compelling to our listeners is that um, Wes Anderson is insufferable and obnoxious in a way that I find completely able to live with, but also charming. Um, and I think the Coens are insufferable, but charming to you. And I want to, I want to hash this out. I want to talk about, um, the insufferability of these two, uh, film, filmmaking entities and why, um, why, why we're okay with slash put off by the different kinds of insufferability, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? I don't, I don't feel like it did a, an amazing job of setting that up just then. That makes perfect sense to me, man. It sounds like a it sounds like a wonderful hit episode, a classic. Yes, it does sound like a classic in the making. So, Zach, I want you to begin by talking about what it is that you let's start with this. What it is that you find insufferable about Wes Anderson? Let's start there and then we can we can work our way back. Um, it's not even that I find him insufferable, it's that I'm just not I'm not a big fan. I I, I uh-huh. think that like he's and and this is going to be hypocritical okay. on a number of levels. Sure, but I feel like he makes the same movie with the same shtick with the same the same basically the same thing again and again and again and again. Sure. Um, and it's one of those things where it was super cute the first time. Mm. Yeah. Um, and then he just never grew beyond it. Like, okay, yeah. there's going to be a, a father figure that's distant. Yeah. There's going to be a bunch of slow zooms on somebody's face from, you know, the floor up to the mm-hmm. stinking balcony. There's going to be some weird precocious children who say odd things say and very you know, adult things. And then adult adults who say very childlike mm-hmm. things. Yeah. The adults are going to talk on a rotary telephone and, you know, the kids are going to be making a decoupage of Sylvia Plath. I mean, mm. it's, it's going to be it's going to be this this movie again. Yeah. And and I liked it, but I didn't like that movie enough. Just like, you know, in fact, let, let me just say this. The movie The Royal Tenenbaums. Yeah. The movie Bo- Bottle Rockets is Wes Anderson, right? Yeah. And that one was less like self-consciously cute, to be honest. He, he hadn't found his his shtick. He hadn't yet. found his shtick exactly. It's still a good so, movie. So let me yeah, really let me make this, and I want to hear your opinion yeah. on this. Remember Jack Van Impey? Of course, yeah. So Jack Van Impey originally had a television show that was just about the Bible in general. Yeah. Okay. He talked about different scriptures. He had memorized fifteen thousand scriptures. He could teach and talk on any topic. Yeah. Then one day, he happened to talk about the end times, and his his ratings went through the roof. Uh huh. 
Suddenly, that's it. <laughs> yeah. You think Jack Van Impey, you think end times nonsense and in the European Union and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Similarly, Glenn Beck. I used to listen to Glenn Beck in like wow. 2000. Yeah, he had a really funny general interest radio show that occasionally delved into politics, but rarely. Not rarely, but but uh, less than half the time for sure. Dude, really? That's fascinating. I had no idea. Yeah, and he... <laughs> A lot of it was about his, how he'd overcome addiction. He'd been this coke head and all this stuff. He'd yeah. kind of gotten himself back together. And then 9-11 happened. He started getting really political. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's all wonky, like his version of libertarianism all the time. I would, You couldn't pay me enough to listen to Glenn Beck. Yeah. And I feel sort of like that's what happened with Wes Anderson. He's like, I'm making these different weird little movies. I mean, like a movie with the Owen brothers and, yeah. and um you know, I, I'm into that. And then he made one that was quirky in its own way. And you'd think he'd just move on and make another one quirky in another way. Yeah. And he never did. He just was like, oh, here's the formula. And maybe he just found it so gratifying. Yeah. He he wanted to make it again and again. Yeah. But does that make sense? Like, that's why I, I feel like I'm it's not that I'm not it's not that I hate Wes Anderson yeah. stuff. It's just that in the same way that I liked the movie uh, Taken 2. Yeah. But I wouldn't watch it seven times. Sure. I liked the movie Wes Anderson does stuff with old phonographs and rotary telephones, yeah. but I wouldn't watch it seven times. Yeah, I guess maybe that's the difference. I would watch it seven times because <laughs> I just like it. Like I, I like luxuriating in the worlds that he creates, even though the worlds are largely like similar to each other. You know what I mean? And I will say this, though. I think the last like I haven't seen the dog one, which looks really funny. Like the I agree. Yeah, his, I his agree. animated stuff is actually really funny. Um, I liked the other kid movie that he made, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. I liked a lot, but even that though, I mean, it was, it was pretty analogous to like, you know, all the other movies that you're describing, but, um, yeah, I guess I like luxuriating in those worlds enough. And I guess the subject matter of, you know, how people, how people age, how people kind of get past it. Um, like that storyline is compelling enough to me right now that like, it keeps me going back in the movies, but I, I will say that like, his last just straight up narrative feature film, which I think was the grand Budapest hotel. I didn't like that one mm -hmm. at all. I like that one to me was the most self-consciously cute. It was the least compelling from a character standpoint. It was almost like someone doing Wes Anderson, but it was actually Wes Anderson doing Wes Anderson. Right. Um, That's the danger of that kind of thing is you becoming a parody of yourself. Right, right, right. And and the same thing happened with Jack Van Empty. And, you know, when he became an insufferable hipster like Wes Anderson, you know, like I'm sure they hang out now, you know. But, uh, <laughs> no, man, I, I, I think. And, and here's a question. I enjoy Wes's movies, but I'm pretty sure I wouldn't enjoy spending any time with him at all in real life. Um and I'm not huh. exactly really. I, I bet you would. Dude, maybe I bet you I guys would. would be bold. Do you think it would work? I bet you would. What would it look like? I what do. would the context be and what would it look like? You know, you're you're able to do that thing that that uh, functional adults can do, where if you hang out with somebody where you've got some overlap, yeah, you just push all your chips over to that overlap, yeah. And I think, I mean, you wouldn't bring up most of your interests. You 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 wouldn't be able to be like friends who hang out once a week. Yeah. But I bet you'd be able to hang out with him for a couple days. And you'd probably get a little tired of that version of Ted. Yeah. But it's still a legitimate version of Ted. Yeah. And I think you'd I think you'd have a great time. Dude, maybe that's the problem. Maybe I would get tired of that version of myself. And I think I'm surprised he hasn't gotten tired of that version of himself and he keeps making the same movie. Dude, right. Right. What if he just made like an action movie? What if, what if that would be amazing? Would See, be, and he could kill it. Dude, he could. He would make it amazing. And it, it's sort of like when Okay, so this this director Ryan Coogler, who's like the you know the 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 sort of king of you know American film directing now because he made um, you know he made uh, the Black Panther and so he he had this arc where he did Fruitvale Station, um, which was kind of a under the radar arty type movie that that people really liked who saw it, and then he made Creed, um, which was a movie based on like a super successful franchise, but it was a franchise that nobody was like clamoring for any more movies from, you know what I mean? It was, it was a franchise that basically everybody in the audience was done with until he made Creed, which was awesome. Yeah. So the expectations he had to reinvent it. were really low. Yeah. yeah. And then he makes black Panther. So like three really different movies, but all of which showcase, I think his skill as a director. And it would, it would be interesting to like, like if I was Wes Anderson's professor, and I do this with some of my students. I would I would force him to do something a little bit different. 
Because like you'll get that really talented student, but they really want to write the same version of the same paper over and over again. Um, It would be interesting if someone forced West to make like just a really different movie. Um, I I agree. And let me suggest something now. And this, if if you're not ready to move to the next uh, phase of the discussion, just tell me. No, baby, I'm ready to do whatever you ask me to do. (laughs) My my suggestion is the Coen brothers have done exactly that. Granted, yeah. a couple of their movies like like Fargo and The Big Lebowski are kind of in, you can tell it's the same people. Yeah. But they've they, so they've got. And I know you w- one of the things you don't like about them is like the, the gratuitous violence that feels like ugh, like yeah. like it's not cool movie violence. It's like, ugh, I don't I don't want to be reminded that the world Dude, is yeah. like this violence. It feels like that. It's I don't want to be reminded that the world is like this, but it also feels like I'm just being gross for grossness's sake in the same way that like. <laughs> the guy in your middle school cafeteria would like turn his, his eyelids inside out just to elicit a reaction. That's how it feels. That to me, that is the me. you know, that, that was, was you. maybe that's why I like him because that was me. I can flip my eyelids up inside out and be like, Hey, look, I'm a, um, oh, but, but there are those movies granted. And, yeah. and like the, the part in like Fargo, when like the lady tries to escape, she's hiding in the shower and she like yeah. slams into the wall. And then like, I, I don't like that. Yeah. But sure, sure. They have, even the whole you know, like wood chipper motif in Fargo, though. Oh yeah. Just even thinking sure. about that to me was like, yeah, all right. You know, I I, I get it. I'm now shocked. So mission accomplished. <laughs> I'm shocked that that someone thought that and wrote it. But like that doesn't mean I want to continue thinking about it. You know. But but here's the here's the thing. I mean, we we had you one time watch. And they've they've made so many different kinds of movies, and yeah. one of them was they've made some goofy. Like warm-hearted movies. Yeah. They they made uh, Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which is one of my favorite movies. Dude, see, and I they can't made stand that movie. I was okay, completely see, bored with now, it. Now, what is it about that? In that there is literally no like horrifying violence or anything like that that would make you feel that way. Here's what it is. Okay, here's what it is. Um, because this is another layer. This is another layer of my Cohen stuff. So that movie, also a movie called Burn After Reading. Um, oh, I love that movie. Yeah, I hate we watched that it movie. together. Yeah, yeah, and I I. I didn't like it. So here's here's what they do that that bothers me. They take a really good actor, like a, a Tom Hanks or a Brad Pitt, and they make them do such like beyond the pale weirdo stuff that's outside the wheelhouse of how we normally enjoy Tom Hanks or Brad Pitt that it's hard for me to enjoy watching them do those things. Now, granted, the Tom Hanks one was less weirdo in that he was just kind of being a you know, a guy with a heavily like affected Southern accent and, and, you know, like that's not a weird thing for a person to do per se, but like, it just wasn't the kind of role that I've become accustomed to seeing Tom Hanks in, you know what I mean? Ergo, I didn't enjoy him in it. And I feel like it was sort of a waste of Tom Hanks. Um, So in the same way that you like to see Wes Anderson do the same thing again and again, you want to see Tom Hanks and Brad Pitt do the same thing again and again. Dude, Kind of. Yeah, I kind of do. Like, I don't want to see Brad Pitt playing like, a not hot weirdo character. Like that's not, Oh, he was so funny and burn after reading when he was like uh, the biker, like cyclist, like like, fitness. And that's funny for a second. It's funny for a second to see a super hot person dressed really ridiculously doing really like uncool things. Um, Like, so, so I got, I got that joke with Brad Pitt and I got how it was funny to take somebody and I, I even see how it was a like a semi-savvy career move if you're Brad Pitt or Tom Hanks to do to do a Coen's Brothers picture, to do that character, that role, whatever. I just didn't enjoy watching it. You know, there was nothing like I'd rather see Brad Pitt like eat a sandwich for an hour on Ocean's Eleven and really not say anything than than um, <laughs> than see him in like, you know, pink fluorescent biker shorts being, you know, sort of dumb and, and over his head and, and burn after reading. It just didn't do anything for me. You know what I'm saying? But wh- why then did you like him as uh, Eldo the Apache and Inglorious Bastards? That's outside of his normal, you know, smooth house as well. But in the age that he's in and the way that his face looks now, it, it totally made sense to, to have him leveling up into like a grizzled, older, jaded, like badass character. Like that, that totally made sense for me in, in that context. And maybe maybe he was just better at that than he was at playing the guy in Burn After Reading. I don't know. Like, I bought him as Aldo the Apache like within seconds of seeing him on the screen. Um, in a way that I never bought him, really, in Burn After Reading. He just seemed like a, like a super hot guy playing, like, a super awkward dude. He never seemed like actually that awkward dude, 
if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, I, I get it. I don't agree, but I understand what you're saying. So I think, okay, so let's let's talk about created worlds for a minute because I think the ridiculous created worlds that Wes creates are somehow more pleasant places for me to inhabit for two hours than the ridiculous created worlds that the Coens create, which are, are ridiculous in different ways, but also similar ways. Let's talk about the ways in which the, the ridiculous creative worlds are, are similar. Um, how are they similar? Um, I think they're similar in that everything is, is too clever by three quarters. Absolutely. I agree. Everything is too clever uh, by three quarters. Um, most of irony reigns supreme. Irony reigns supreme. Most of these scenarios are 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 more outlandish by three quarters, right? I.e., you know, it's people in places and situations doing things that that would never actually happen, which isn't a deal breaker. I mean, that's most movies, but I, I guess West just does it in a way that's that's more palatable for me to watch. Um, mm-hmm. So, what what are the differences in the ridiculous created worlds? I think that's hard to say because there's such a varied, I mean, if you're talking about true grit or you're talking about no country for old men, or you're talking about Hudsucker proxy, they're so different. Yeah, that's true. Now I like true grit. Why do I like true grit? I think maybe because it was more of a straight on, it was them trying their hand at a not weird movie. You know what I mean? Dude. And I think I even wrote this somewhere in some context about true grit, but I liked it because it was the least Uh Cohen-y, you know, it was the least like self-consciously Cohen-y and it was a, it was the straightest narrative um, it just, it just watched like a real movie to me and not, I wasn't like, oh, I'm watching a Coen brothers movie. I was like, I'm, I'm just watching a really good movie. It's a um, remake too. So they didn't write the story. Yeah. It's a remake. They didn't write the story. It wasn't trying to be too clever by half. Um, because it's just not that kind of movie. You know what I'm saying? It's not a like self-consciously clever movie. Um, you mentioned another one in that rundown. So true grit, no controlled men, Hudsucker proxy, um, there's, there's Raising know, I, Arizona, which I think is a spectacular movie. Oh, I hated Raising Arizona. It's allegedly <laughs> funny. Yeah, that's an allegedly <laughs> funny movie that isn't in any way to be funny at all. Oh, my um, gosh. It's, it's a so movie strange. that here, – here's, here's what both the Coens and Wes Anderson offer. And this, I think, is fascinating. They both offer the opportunity to feel smug and superior, yes. which I think is the thing that both of us like. Just maybe again, and in, 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 if you overlaid our smug and superior Venn diagrams, there would be there would be again some overlap in the middle. Like, i.e., I think Zach and Ted both like feeling smug about the same things at certain times. But eighty percent of the time, probably. I mean, eighty percent of the time, overlap. there's a big overlap. But I think I think the Coens and Wes invite you to 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 feel smug in different ways. So we feel um, smug and superior to each other in this one area. Yeah, I, I guess. I guess. Do we? <laughs> I don't know. Do you? I, I don't guess. think so. Yes, I do. You do. So the fact that I don't like Raising Arizona makes you feel in some way superior to me. And I'm, I'm not saying that. I say that with zero defi- zero percent defensiveness. Like, I, I, I'm not defensive at all by it. I just want to understand it better. I only um, feel it because uh, it's a it's a muscle memory. It's a reflex action. I mean, if I think about it for a minute, the, yeah. the smugness vis-a-vis Coen Brothers, vis-a-vis like the whole 90s. And, and I mean, the Coen Brothers are super 90s as much as Wes Anderson is super Audis. Um, yeah. It's a very 90s thing to be like, you don't like that movie. Aha, you don't get that movie. I do. Yes. You don't get that movie. Are. I do. So let me ask you this in a very in a very straightforward, non-90s, non-ironic way. Um <laughs> And then I want to queue up uh, the bowling movie as our next kind of ah, Cohen okay. discussion. Um, Raising Arizona, what? Explain to me what you liked about it. Um, non-ironically, um, yeah, just Holly Hunter. Much. Okay, that that, that makes sense. <laughs> that that's, totally that's, makes that's, sense actually. I, I would say that's my least favorite of all their movies, actually. So it's okay. probably not the best kind of test case. I think it was the smartest thing that Nicolas Cage ever did because I think it bought him a certain level of credibility amongst mm-hmm. hipsters and smart people that he would have never, ever in a gazillion years had without it. Um, he wouldn't have been able to do leaving Las Vegas without it. Dude. Right. So hats off to him for doing that because in, yeah, again, like 80% of him as an actor is a punchline like, Oh, ha ha. It's a Nicholas Cage <laughs> movie. But like the other 20% right. you look at it and you go, hey, you know, this guy's done some like legitimate stuff. I may not like it, but it's legitimate, you know? 
Yeah. He, so he's a freaking enigma, Nicolas Cage. He is an enigma. Absolutely. So you were you were about to mention another movie. Right. I was going to say Hudsucker Proxy, you, me, and our wives watched together. Yeah. I would say, I would credit, and you have to at least credit the Coen Brothers for this. This was the movie that launched the four of us on our quest to essentially just watch movies that we were going to mock because we they were stupid. Yeah, yeah. Because we were like, ee, there's such, there's movies that we, that, both of us, you know, the Bartles and the Clucks feel so strongly about that the, that it isn't shared yeah. by the other couple. Yeah. Um, but what was it that you didn't like about that one? That was Tim Robbins. Yeah, he was playing an idiot again. And maybe that's one of the things you don't like. Just yeah. he, he was but but he was a charming idiot. You had Jennifer Jason Lee at her best at her Jennifer Jason Lee. Yeah. You had Martin Crane. Uh, uh, he just died. Uh, Mahoney, yeah. John, John Mahoney. Mahoney. Freaking Bruce Campbell is in that puppy. Oh, wow. You know, I mean, like, yeah. so what is it you don't like about it? Dude, it may be that I have to watch it again. I I just remember not caring about any of the characters and being bored. And I actually had this. This might be a digression that we don't want to make. But and, and if so, you can you're you're savvy enough rhetorically to just kind of shut it down without hurting my feelings. But um, <laughs> I had this conversation recently in the context of Christopher Nolan movies. Because everybody loves okay. Christopher Nolan now. I do not like Christopher Nolan movies in general. Um, and the one that like all my students were like, Cluck, you've got to watch The Prestige. The Prestige is the best Oh, thing. yeah. You've got to watch it. Good movie. And uh, so I watched The Prestige, ready to be blown away, just ready to have my mind blown by all the Nolan-y Nolan-ness of the movie. And I was, I was bored with it slash didn't care in the same way that I don't care about most Christopher Nolan movies. And I, but I was able finally to like, distill why that is. Um, here's why I think Christopher Nolan movies are all about what happens, right? They're what happens movies. And it's all about the big twist, the big reveal at the end. Um, and the prestige was not, you know, unique in that. Like, so, so it was very Nolan in that way. Um, I tend to gravitate toward, and maybe this is why I like Wes's brand of insufferability better. I tend to gravitate toward any story that luxuriates more in the characters like, I don't even need a plot, really, which I think is why I love Infinite Jest. And maybe you don't. Um, I don't need a plot. I just need, like, really interesting characters to care about. And I think my issue with a lot of these Cohen movies is that I never really get to that point of giving a crap about what happens to any of them. Mm. In a way that I do in the West movies, even though the characters are all the same. You know, even though, like, Bill Murray basically plays the same guy in every West movie, I still care what happens to that guy. Um, and I think maybe for me, that's the disconnect with the one exception being the bowling movie. So the big Lebowski, um, I did find myself caring about what happened to the dude, which is, I think why in the whole like Cohen library, that's the one that I can watch multiple times. Mm. Um, what, what do you have to say about all that? That was a lot. That was a, that was a little theory, a little Nolan. And then, and then a little Lebowski. I feel like that you, you've maybe solved it in that. Okay. Cohen brothers are very plot driven as well. Right. It's all about the weird thing that happens. Yeah. Uh, Wes Anderson's very character driven. And uh -huh. here's the, the exception that proves the rule in both situations. Yeah. Uh, maybe you have two exceptions there. Big Lebowski and True Grit are, are mm -hmm. both very much more character pieces, I think. Yes, um, I agree. And I would say the, the one uh, Wes Anderson movie I like the most that uh -huh. I've watched probably 10 times is Life Aquatic. Gosh, I love that one. Oh, yes. And that one's yeah. very much more plot driven. I mean, it, it has all the character driven. stuff, but yeah. it's, dude, when, when like, pirates just come out of nowhere and there's the random gunfight, and then at the end he goes, Yeah, well, I shot one of them in the neck, so I think we're doing pretty good too. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, that's, oh, it's so good. Almost a Coen Brothers thing, right? I mean, like, it's almost a Coen Brothers thing. And it's, it's the one kind of Wes experience that sort of, defies just having a bunch of clever people sitting in pretty rooms talking about their feelings. Um, you know, it, it, it pulls out of that and it puts you in this, yeah, this story where like, like actual swashbuckling is happening and people are like moving around and doing different things. And, um, and, and to be fair too, I think that's what I loved about the, the first animated one, the fantastic Mr. Fox, like that was more plot driven um, for a West movie. It was more plot driven. That. Yeah. Oh, dude, you should watch it. You should watch it with Calvin. Yeah, I think Cal okay. would love it. Our kids, um, and there's nothing like objectionable at all in it. Like our kids 
watched that and loved it and have loved it for years. Um, so I, I think you guys would really enjoy that because um, it's clever enough to like keep you involved and it's um, it's kid movie enough that that a kid would like it. So, um, you know what? That's interesting. I, I feel like we've gotten somewhere. I feel like we figured this Coen's versus West thing out. And what's more, I feel like we figured ourselves out, even though even though you and I have been friends for like the better part of a decade, um, more than a decade. We like we didn't understand this about each other, man, that you're more of a plot guy and I'm more of a character guy. And I think, to be honest, the reason we love movies like Die Hard together is that there's enough of both in that movie to keep both of us like massively engaged with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, I, you know, let me add another layer to this. OK, I think maybe. I mean, we both like, but everyone likes both. Yeah. Everyone likes both plot and, and character. Yeah, yeah. People just lean one way or the other more. Yeah. Except for people who watch like, you know, crappy 90s directed DVD like action movies. Yeah, they yeah. only want plot. Sure. Um, but, you know, I think it's an awful lot like how everybody is actually an introvert and, a, and an extrovert. Yeah. But they lean one way. Sure, sure. I, I feel like I am more of an extrovert, but I sure love being alone. I sure love reading by myself. Oh, absolutely. Et yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. But but I'm more want to interact with other people. Yeah. I feel like you, you do a very good job. I mean, you're never awkward at all in interactions or anything. You're yeah. very, you're very good at, at the extroverted stuff, but I feel like you're, you lean a little more introverted. Like yeah. you'd rather just not go out in public yeah. and you'd rather just be with, you know, so is that actually, does that correlate? Oh, like, I mean, the introvert introspective yes. character stuff, yeah. the extroverted have things happening. Dude, I think it absolutely correlates. That's a really fascinating, like, lit lit crit kind of perspective on just how we take in stories. You know what I mean? And I mean, that may speak more to why certain people like certain stories and dislike other stories than anything I've ever really thought about. So that's brilliant, baby. Good, good work, man. We've, uh, we've, we've accomplished a lot here on the program today. This, this is taking an interesting turn. This is like, this is like the gut check (laughs) academic episode of, uh, of the gut check podcast. Um, dude, seriously though, smack academic. Remember it's gut check. Smack academic. Um, I knew a guy and this is a real thing. This is a real thing that I'd encountered more than more than once in academia, but I knew a guy who was like really hardcore into this, like his area of study, like postmodern study was, uh, the big Lebowski. Like he had written extend, he white papered (laughs) extensively on the big Lebowski. And I think actually knowing this guy, was the impetus for me writing and you and me writing our joke white paper on Rocky four. Um, ah. like I thought it was so hilarious that someone was like drawing a paycheck to, to, to view the big Lebowski and write like, um, you know, uh, deep postmodern thoughts about it. Um, which I find utterly ridiculous. I, I just find this manifestly ridiculous that someone would do this. Um, but it's a thing. It's a, like, it's a, there are conferences on this. You can go to a, like, academic big Lebowski oh conferences. So let me, let me ask you on that level, why do you think that is? And why do you think that movie for that level of smugness? Because like, there's gotta be like weapons grade smugness involved to make it something that academics care about in a real way. I, you know, I, I think that it, to begin with, it's just that our standards of what it means to be cultured have fallen. Mm. Um, benefits of no classical education if you will i will but uh i don't know why that movie because that's my second least favorite coen brothers movie interesting Uh, i i I think it's all right i like aaron doesn't like it at all i like it quite a bit but it's not the one i would gravitate toward um i'd watch burn after reading before that you know nine times out of ten i think yeah i i don't know i mean i i love steve buscemi's uh performance in it i love i I love all the performances. Yeah. Maybe that's why. Maybe it's just because the fact that this guy or these guys can distill out of, um, you know, these. And that's another example where you've got actors doing John Goodman's John Goodman all the sure. time. Um, but, you know, uh, Turturro, yeah, yeah. that's not his usual character. Um, Jeff Daniels, he's usually the guy like shouting into the walkie talkie to take the shot. Yeah. Now he's, you know, the stoner. And maybe just because it's so... Dude, you're right. The Coens have done, like, fascinating work on the level of taking taking actors that we're used to seeing in a certain way and making them do different things. And maybe at the end of the day, I like seeing 
I like seeing Terturo do that and John Goodman do that more than I like seeing Brad Pitt do that. I don't know. Um, but I would agree. And, and I think here's the thing, too. If you took the Cohen Venn diagram and the Wes Anderson Venn diagram, they would both have overlap on the level of having basically made the careers of certain actors. Like Buscemi is Buscemi because of the Coens. You know what I mean? In mm-hmm. the same way that like Luke and Owen Wilson are Luke and Owen Wilson because of Wes Anderson. Um, yes. And they they have both like not only launched careers, but defined careers. Like we even Bill Murray, even Bill Murray. Absolutely. So this is act two for Bill Murray. I mean, Bill Murray, the Bill Murray of the 80s was doing like, you know, stripes and the and the the Ghostbusters movies and stuff like that. He was very funny. He was good in those roles. But like, you know, later career act two, Bill Murray has been completely defined and cast in stone by Wes Anderson. And or was uh, was uh, lost in translation before or after like Art School Confidential when he started yeah. doing this kind of dude? Stuff? I think it was. I think maybe. I think I think Art School Confidential was first, but then um, Lost in Translation was kind of like after he'd done his first West picture. I'm pretty sure. Um, so he'd gotten his feet wet in that in that area, yeah. and it's so funny to me. I feel like anybody. I mean, Tom Green. You remember him? Oh, sure. Yeah. Anybody, you get them in with one of these act, one of these directors rather, who does this kind of quirky stuff. Yeah. They could launch any any comedian. Pauly Shore, oh, that's could launch into yeah. one of these careers, don't you think? I, I mean, I all it takes is the right stamp of approval and the right push. I agree. I do agree. And um, okay, okay, so Lost in Translation. How did you feel about that movie? Never seen it. Really? Okay, so to me, Lost in Translation is the ultimate character movie. I mean, it's the ultimate example of. Basically one location, two characters, not a ton happening, but a ton of crackling like subtext and great character stuff and great dialogue. Um, but it may not have enough happening in it to, to really satisfy you. Uh, but I love it. Like it's a, that's a rewatcher for me. And that one is like peak Bill Murray, peak second career Bill Murray. Um, I think peak Scarlett Johansson. Um, she is wonderful in it. Her character is really layered and complex and, um, it's just a really good writer's movie to me on the level of like character stuff, but, um, you should, you should watch it. I'd be interested to see what you think of it. The other thing I wanted to ask you vis-a-vis the Coens is does Aaron like Coney stuff in general? Yeah. Your yeah. We, we love it. Yeah, definitely. We, we, we love them together and we'll mm-hmm. almost anytime we're in a mood to watch a movie that we've seen a bunch of times, you know, you know how yeah. you get in that mood. You're like full oh, laundry sure, yeah. maybe. And you're just yeah. bushed. We'll, we'll, uh, bust out like either, Burn After Reading or Oh Brother Where Art Thou. We probably could, between the two of us, we could probably recite Oh Brother Where Art Thou beginning to end. Gosh, that's fascinating. Because I, I truly do hate both of those movies. But <laughs> I, I think Wes Anderson serves the same function in our household. Like whenever we need a rewatcher, something that's like not hard that we know we're both going to enjoy, or whenever like we're about to inhabit like a world or a metro area that Wes has inhabited in his movies, like, like we always watch... Um, bombs before we get ready to go to New York um, mm. just because it's a it's like a fun association so um, man that's interesting because I think of Aaron as like someone who's who's pretty deeply like invested in characters but I don't know I, I don't really know her as well through like her writing um, maybe she's more plot driven would you say she's more plot or character driven she I'd say she's more like you and uh-huh. I think that she, I know that she likes uh, Wes Anderson a lot more than I do Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating, baby. Um, okay. So we basically spent 40 minutes talking about really good art and really good, <laughs> like really good stuff, really good movies. And uh, I want to spend the last few minutes of our episode talking about something that came up to us via text the other day. And what show were we talking about? And also, see, you, you said you had the perfect segue for this. So I'm going to throw it to you right now. Well, you know, maybe it's not that perfect. I was uh-huh. just gonna, I was gonna tell you that this morning I'd been listening to the Eels, okay, in my CD player, okay, and uh, it occurred to me that the Eels was the ultimate like faux deep '90s music. Oh, interesting. Um, now you're gonna you have know, to, you're gonna have to refresh me. What was the, like the 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 track for the Eels? What what are we looking at? Uh, perfect day in hell. You remember that? Oh, no, I don't think I do. I'm drawing a total uh, blank on the eels. This is crazy. Novocaine for the soul. Oh, sure, sure. Okay. Yep. Yep. You're right. So like that, that, that is very 90s hipster. Dude, music. it's very 90s. It's very 90s 
yeah, self-reflective hipster music. So um, interesting. And what TV show were we discussing when we when we came up with this idea of compelling TV turds? It was Into the Badlands. You yes. had suggested that uh, I should check it out. Yes. And then the guy on uh, the other podcast, Nathan Bell, is like, oh, yeah, I've been watching this show. It's kind of a kung fu thing. And I was like, all right, two people. I got to try yeah. it. And I watched three episodes before I realized that it was a turd. Okay. But I couldn't stop watching This is it. fascinating. So I, I want to ask a few follow-up questions to you on this. Because one of the struggles that I had while watching Into the Badlands was in my own mind and heart trying to ascertain whether or not it was a turd. And certain things would happen that would make me think that it was. And then other things would happen that would make me think that it was the opposite of a turd. So I, I want to know what like the turd moment was for you when you were like three episodes in and you and you you became convinced in your own mind that it was a turd. Um, I, I think let me let me answer it backwards a minute. Okay. I assumed it was great, not only because I had been given the recommendation, but because it was on AMC, yeah. which yeah. ever since Breaking Track Bad, record. I mean, yeah, yeah come on. Uh, and because the the premise was kind of money yeah. and the opening credits sequence mm-hmm. was fantastic. Oh, yeah, so and good. Really, the whole opening sequence and everything, um, w- what it was, was I think that I realized – this is a show that relies very heavily on the fight choreography yeah. and the 12 minutes of every episode that are fighting are amazing. Yeah. And then the 37 minutes of every show that are people trying to talk convincingly yeah. and that are writers trying to, you know, weave a tale yeah. are just, just cringeworthy. Yes, you're right. The main character, oh my gosh, that guy, he's he's supposed to be this like grizzled killer all tortured in his I soul. I never figured him out. I never, never figured that out, yeah. He, he doesn't have the voice for it. He doesn't have the presence for yeah. it. It's like the guy in the cubicle next to you. It's like they they decided to like save money on him and they shouldn't have. They should have <laughs> spent all the money there. You know what I mean? They, they really should have like gone all in financially on that character because honestly, the... The Kung Fu guy's character isn't that compelling. You know what I mean? Um, he's just the one doing all the Kung Fu. So you could have saved some money there. Um, yeah, they, they really needed. And the the show doesn't have like a, a bankable star in it. You know, there's not an actor in it that's like that can that can carry something promotionally. But I, I really think they needed to spend a lot of money on that on that role. Um, they did. The one that I you're mean, they about. went all in with Stephen Lang is in the first season. And then, uh, yeah. if you haven't gotten to the second season, Nick Frost is in it. Whom we oh both sure, love. yeah, we're yeah, we're all the way through the second season for sure, man. Yeah, Nick Frost is great in it. You know, so yeah, the, clearly they they put some resources behind it, and clearly the thing cost like a gajillion dollars just visually to do. I mean, you talk about like creating all new worlds with you know just freakishly large casts, um, really interesting set design. You know, they spent a fortune on the show, clearly, but. Um, so, so for you, it was that main, the one character who like kind of, kind of outed the show as a turd for you and the boy. So it's like the second main character, the boy, okay, yeah, the boy you're so he's right. Awful. Yeah. He's so, yes. and, and like the story just took a left turn quite early on. And then that, that got more and more a share of it where the first time, like uh-huh. his eyes turned black and I was like, Oh, it's this one of these things. Okay. I thought yeah, it was going yeah. to be this like stylized and fantastical, but you know, but basically grounded in yes. physical realities of some kind. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Dude, yeah, sh- stories lose me really whenever they go into like, you know, his eyes go black and he's got superpowers. Like I become markedly less interested in any story in which there are like superpowers involved. It's just like going to space, right? Dude, it's like space. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a space guy and I'm not a superpowers guy. Yeah, Dude, neither. I'm just too... I'm too grounded in in the things of the earth, I guess. Oh, I don't no. know. That's like, a spiritual problem. Dude, that's a, that, that is a spiritual problem. Definitely. I'm going to I'm gonna get some accountability on that one. But um, Warrior Poet's going to give you a, a long screed in your email. No, not Warrior Poet, no. <laughs> but one thing that came out of that discussion, besides us realizing that both of us felt the same way about the movie, was that there yeah. is a category that we have come to call compelling turds. Yes, and, uh, that's right. I suggested maybe we both uh, see, you know, just think about it and see if there's any other, mo- uh, f- not, not, not films, just TV, I think yeah. was the idea. Yeah, it was that TV. Fit yeah. this category. Yeah. So the idea being 
pretty early on in the process, you recognize that what you're watching is a turd, but yet it's compelling enough to keep you watching. Um, I think Zach, and I'll, I'll, I'll frame this one with a story. So there was a show that both you and I were, were into at a certain point and it involved, um, it involved Bruce Campbell, right? So Bruce (laughs) Campbell playing this character named Sam Axe, the show took place in Miami. Um, the other guys, the other character's name was Michael Weston and he was like a, a super, just like a super crime solver, like a super detective crime solver. He had been like kicked out of his, you know, day job and was kind of like going rogue doing all these, all these jobs. And I don't know how early into that you realized it was a turd, but probably somewhere in the first episode, I'm guessing. Um, no, dude, I, no? I texted you upon rewatching the series. Okay. Like last year that I realized yeah. that it sucked. Like I Did thought you- it was cool. I mean, I knew it was cable TV, so it was corny and episodic, but yeah, I thought yeah. it was the best of that. And it, yeah. it's not. Dude, you know, when I, when I realized it was a turd, well, actually I knew it was a turd pretty early on because it had some of the, it had some of the markers of like network TV turdness. You know what I mean? Like, and for me, it's a certain look and feel. It's a certain, like, you can tell where they're saving money. Um, it just kind of yeah. looked and felt like a turd, but it was a turd that I liked. But when I really, really realized it was, was when we had that, <laughs> we had a theme party around the show. <laughs> yeah. And we both wore like Sam Axian, like Hawaiian <laughs> shirts that we left we're, unbuttoned down to our navels. And we're, we're, we're mixing mojitos in the other room. Right, right. And we showed the program. We showed it to our wives. <laughs> <laughs> and our wives weren't feeling it at all. And then I was like, oh, no, this is bad. This is a bad show, you know? And not just because my wife doesn't like it, but because, like, it's actually bad. Um, yeah. That was when I really, really knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was. Insane. It's like glass shattering, man. You can't go back once you oh, once you yes. see it. Yeah, I wanted to immediately, like, throw on a hooded sweatshirt over my Sam Axe shirt and, and just be done with the whole enterprise. But um, you, you notice now that that like when when the bad guy lives in a mansion in Miami, yeah, that yeah. like all of the columns inside are made out of like polystyrene. Oh, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like a Key and Peele parody of like a certain kind of action show, you know. Yes. Except that it was that show. Cracking all the necks. Yeah, cracking all the necks. Exactly. The pool parties. Oh man, oh, I, that's on my list too, man. Burn notice for sure. Dude, what else is on um, your list? I'm curious. Give me another one. I've got three others. I, 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 uh, lay them on me. Fuller house. Okay, dude. I've watched some fuller house. I watched it with my niece on a, uh, on a little, a little vacation. We did a little fuller house marathon. How did you know that was a turd? Well, I mean, it's, it's the successor to a turd and I knew going in that it was (laughs) a turd. And I was going to say, this is a, this is a unique genre. The one where the original is the turd. Yeah. Um, And and I mean, the new one's better, but not markedly different. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's it's cheesy and crappy, but I don't know. It makes me feel good. Okay, sure. I got you. Do you feel it's a compelling turret? Would you watch more Fuller House? I would watch Fuller House only if like a child in my family who was a girl wanted to watch more of it. (laughs) (laughs) I.e. if if the same niece was ever in a setting in which she wanted to watch more Fuller House, I would say yes to it. But I would it's it's a turret that I would feel weird watching on my own. You know what I mean? Like if I if I if I went home this afternoon and I had a stack of papers to grade and I just flipped on and I just flipped on Netflix and turned on Fuller House, I would somehow feel weird watching it by myself. Why is that? I, I know why. I can't articulate it, but it's the same reason of I felt weird watching season one of yeah. Fuller House by myself. You almost need like an excuse to watch it. You need like someone to to sort of like shepherd you into it. And then you're like, oh, this is enjoyable. I'm I'm watching Fuller House. Or if I was um, sick. I think I would feel okay yeah. watching it. Like as a Dude, that's a that's a whole nother genre. Shows that you watch when you're sick, but you would never watch under any other circumstance. Dude, because it's such low-hanging fruit, it requires absolutely nothing of you. Yes. Yes. And it requires so little of you that you would feel guilty watching it at full strength, you know? <laughs> Dude, we figured so many things out today. This is this is really helpful. All right, lay another one on me. Uh Gotham. Have you seen Gotham? I've not seen Gotham, but but judging only by the commercial, it looked like just a mega turd. It was such a turd. I did this one. I stopped. It wasn't compelling enough to keep me going, but I watched a season yeah. and a half of it, thinking it was good. 
yeah. uh, and yeah. it sucks. Um, yes. And then this is the worst one of them all. And tell me if you've seen this little show on uh, TBS, I think, (laughs) called Suits. No, I've never seen Suits. Talk about it. I've heard about it, though. Suits is a legal drama starring the the future, like Prince of Wales, this lady who's marrying, uh, what's his name in England? Um, And it's... (laughs) It's you, you notice after about five episodes that they all every conversation, not just every storyline, follows yeah. the exact same formula. OK, someone s- comes running into someone's office and says, do you have a minute? I need a minute. And then the person says, it'll have to wait. I don't have a minute. And they're like, no, this can't wait. Yeah. And then they shout at each yeah. other for no reason. Kind of like a point okay. break, you know, just shouting. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just shouting all the shouting in the office for sure. And then they say, you better do the GD thing about the GD other thing. And then they storm uh-huh. out. And then uh-huh. um, everybody uses the phrase, uh, the, the more crass word for, for to have a bowel movement, you know what I'm talking about? Um, yes, I do. I do. It starts with this. Yeah. Everyone, yeah. regardless of what character they are, what their background is, whether they have a, a, a jurist doctor or whether they're the, the client that they scraped off the streets, everyone, yeah. if they've screwed up, they say, I crapped the bed. Like, Ugh. that's how sloppy the writing is, that everyone has Ugh. what's obviously the writer's pet phrase. He's giving yes. it to everybody. Dude, that's fascinating. And th- this speaks to a writing thing. Okay. So I think if you're a really good writer, like if, you, if you're a fantastic writer, like um, like Aaron Sorkin, you can write a show like, um, you know, The West Wing or Newsroom or whatever, where everything's basically happening in offices, like you just said. Um, but one writer is good enough to carry it because, you know, he's good enough to weave these compelling characters and having them talking differently and all the stuff you do when you're a good writer. Um a lot of turds and, and a lot of just TV shows in general are kind of written by committee. Yeah. This sounds like one that's, yeah, this the writer's room. Exactly. This sounds like one that's written by one guy that really needed to be written by committee. Probably. Yeah. Then you can get some variation in, you know, I take this yeah. character, I take this character basically, and, and we weave it together. I mean, I know and they've done yeah. that on uh, The Office, and that's one of the most smartly written yeah, for TV sure. shows in recent memory. Um Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you have any other uh, compelling turds? I, I'm very Dude, curious. I have one other, and it, and it's going to be a little controversial, I think. Ooh. But it's a, it's a compelling turd that I really liked back in a certain time and place. Um, the Cosby Show. <laughs> I think the Cosby Show may be like the archetypal compelling turd. It's, cur- that- it's controversial because of the rape stuff recently? No, or- no, just because, because everybody loved that show, uh-huh. you know? Um, everybody loved that show. I think like semi-academic TV theory, people like to sort of hold it up as an example of, I don't know, something, but it was a really, (laughs) it was, it was a really bad show and it got like progressively lazier as the seasons went on. Like the plots, like the the storylines became almost non-existent. It was almost just like, this is Cliff and Claire and like whatever kid is home at the time, just saying stuff for 22 minutes about Almost nothing. And and that was the show. Um, but I, I will say this. It was it was not unpleasant in that. And I think I, I think in the same way that Burn Notice was not unpleasant in in being a turd, the Cosby show was also not unpleasant. Um, it wasn't funny. You know what I mean? It wasn't quantifiably funny in the way uh. that like things that you and I think are funny are funny. Um, like, for example, okay, so KK had never seen the movie I Love You Man. Oh, I love um, that with, movie. Dude, I do, I do too, with Jason Siegel and Paul Rudd. So we watched it last night, and I was, like, barking out loud with laughter. And KK made the comment, like, it's it's been a long time since you've laughed that hard at something that we've watched together. And she was laughing out loud. I was like, like, we both thought it was, like, gut-bustingly hilarious. She was wheezing out loud. You know, a Doc Holiday moment with I, uh, I with I love, love it when she starts laughing like that. It's the best thing ever. Dude, I love it. Especially if it's at something I said. I love it too until I think she's going to die and I have to give her like a puff of her <laughs> inhaler just to like bring her back to life. <laughs> but uh, but no, I mean, the Cosby show was never ever at its funniest moment, even remotely that funny. It was just, it was, oh, it was pleasant. You know what I mean? It was just a pleasant show. Ted, I feel like I just, I, this is going to sound sacrilegious, yeah. but I feel like like an, a 1% of 1% of a shadow of what I would feel like if you told me that you were like disavowing your faith. Oh, no. Or like, oh, no. I mean, like, yeah. 
to me, the Cosby show is so woven into my childhood. and Dude, like same. I have very warm like feelings about it. But I, I think where this came about for me was trying to watch it later in life. Like, so, so a few years ago, we screened a couple of episodes of the Cosby show because we were, okay, so we were in that genre of our kids are old enough to watch real stuff, i.e. they don't have to just watch cartoons anymore. But mm-hmm. we were we were kind of trying to like very carefully curate what we were allowing them to see that was real. And we tried the Cosby show, but instead of feeling warm and nostalgic about it, we were both just like super, super bored with it. Um, I think that's what (laughs) happened. You know, that was the problem. I should have let it remain in my childhood is the thing. I've I've had the wisdom to let that sleeping dog just, just lie there in in my memories. Although I could probably tell you a lot of the apps by heart, yeah. like the one where uh, the their their house becomes the real world, and, and yes. Theo has to navigate the real world with cockroaches. Yes, I remember that um, one. And see, I don't like I have a I have a much better time just waxing nostalgic about the Cosby Show than I actually have right. even watching that episode. You know what I mean? Like it's more fun to talk about it than it is to actually put it on and watch it. And you don't want to watch it because you you're now with the knowledge you have. Yeah. Anytime there's like a pretty female guest star, you're like, right. oh, he probably. Oh. Dude, can I? So yeah, leave it again, leave it alone. I guess. And can I end with something too? And this is this is more yeah. like deep revelatory stuff. That's very smug. This is me being just unspeakably <laughs> smug. So we went to a fundraising dinner last night, and it was for a very good cause. Something we like wholeheartedly support. Um, and I think I can be like authentic about what the cause it it was, it was the kind of thing that was geared toward like, you know, getting girls to like not get abortions and like keep the pregnancy and like, it's a really good thing. Mm -hmm. And so Uh we went to this thing and in the manner of all fundraising dinners, it was very, you know, heartstring pulley and manipulative and the cadence and the pace of the appeal to give money at the very end was absolutely hundred percent the same as the cadence and the pace of manipulative, like altar calls at the end of like uh-huh. church camps when you were a kid and, or trying to get the uh, kids into the city where there's computers at that concert, trying to get the kids into the city where there's computers. Exactly. So like we're sitting there and we're watching this thing and ah, I feel like a horrible person and people around us are literally being moved to tears with emotion. And because KK and I know like all the rhetorical tricks, like it, it was impossible for me to sit in that room and see anything other than like rhetorical, like tools being imp- employed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I felt very smug, but not in a good way. Like it wasn't fun smug. It was like, oh, I hate myself smug. You know what I mean? You wish you could be snowed by it and just, I wish I could be snowed yeah. by it. Yes. I wanted to be moved by the, the tinkling piano and the low light and the images. And like, I I wanted that stuff to work on me in a way that hasn't worked in a long time because I've gotten smarter. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I wish I could like put off my smartness for a little while and just go into those things and be moved by them. And then go home and watch an episode of the Cosby show. And and then go home and watch some Cosby. Like, yeah, while (laughs) while the smartness is still gone, you know? Um, I don't know. I don't know what happened to me over the years, but I I don't like it. Um, (laughs) <laughs> that's going to be Ted Cluck quotes uh, material. Yeah. 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 I felt smug last night, but I didn't enjoy it is the point. So <laughs> baby, this has been, uh, this has been some interesting radio, man. I've, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this examination of, um, of, of compelling turds and the Coens versus Wes Anderson. And um, I, at the risk of sounding, I don't know, can we even say gay on the air? Is that a thing I can say on my own program? Oh, you say it yeah. all the time. Do we say it almost every app? Yeah, the risk, the risk of sounding gay. gay. Like <laughs> I feel like I know you better, and I like that. So here it is. I agree. I agree. You know, it's like an old married couple at the risk of sounding incredible. <laughs> at the risk of sounding yet more gay. Finally learning yeah. something. Yeah. <laughs> you feel like you know somebody so well that there's no more surprises, and then and then you you, you know you peel back yeah. into the layer of the onion, and 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 then and then as happens when you peel back the layer of the onion. A tear That's right. rolls down it's your cheek. the joy of discovery, baby. At the risk of sounding, <laughs> you know what? I think uh, I think I need to draw this episode to a close before. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Before, before things, things get out of hand, the wheels come. Um, this has been the Gut Check <laughs> Podcast. 
Uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed this. I hope you have too. Get some Ligaris Roasters, Gut Check, uh, Signature Blend Coffee, and we will see you next time.